0: Welcome back. Here we are with another episode of Faith in Your Recovery. I'm Randy Davis. I'm just glad you've joined us. We have a guest today. Her name is actually, excuse me, actually Ryan. Actually, go ahead. Speak to the folks here.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Good to have you. Tell them where you're from.
1: Well, I just moved to Indiana two years ago, but I'm originally from Virginia.
0: Originally from Virginia. Virginia but you've been a Hoosier here for a couple of years. Hey good to have you glad you've joined us today. Tell them what you do now as a career.
1: Sure Um, I work in for a mental health organization and I manage services that other people provide to our clients outpatient mental health services as well as addiction services.
0: Okay and you've been at that how long?
1: Actually, I've been with this organization a little under a year.
0: Were you doing the same type of work before?
1: I was. um, I worked previously in Virginia. I worked for an organization there where I did a lot of outreach and community involvement. Um, It was a prevention council, so I really focused on prevention in the school system. So I worked very closely with one of the local counties down there in Virginia and really... um, worked into their, their addiction prevention programs in the middle and high schools.
0: As well as the prevention. I'm sure there was a lot of awareness oh, that yes. you were creating and helping folks out with.
1: What's one
0: memory that strikes you from there? One moment that sticks out in your mind for some reason? Maybe an unexpected comment or activity? Can you think of something?
1: Um, I would say going back to 2016, when I started getting involved in that organization in Virginia, um, it was the first time I'd ever publicly spoken about addiction and my experience with it and kind of what I had been observing in my community. And I was involved in this event that really just brought a lot of people together. And it was I always look back at that moment as this huge turning point, not only in my personal career, but also in the community. And it really just kind of was the, the very beginning phases of creating so much more awareness in the community that I was in at the time. And then after that, everything just kind of took off. And, you know, now here we are, it's 2023. And it's kind of crazy to look at that community now, because I'm still tied into it. I have family there. And Um, I just know that they've come a long way, and so I'm super proud to have been a part of that.
0: Our organization's been around eight years, and I remember the difference eight years ago compared to where most of us are today. There were few, if any, in your community ways, opportunities, recovery programs, movements, or anything but now you don't drive far without finding one, and that's a good thing. Unfortunately, a necessary thing. Even We're even going to need more as we go, but we're getting there, so I feel good about that.
1: Yep, we're making progress everywhere.
0: That's an important thing. During what you shared there a moment ago, you mentioned in, in a brief way that you've had your own battles with addiction, yes?
1: No, I have no, not I'm had- sorry. That's okay. Um, I have not had personal battles with addiction myself, um, but I have experienced it as a family member and as a friend, and those people in my life I was very close to. So my perspective on addiction is very different, but it's still a huge part of the story and a huge part of what what is involved in the world of addiction and, and how it impacts everybody.
0: So... I'm like you. I don't have an addiction background either, so I don't mean this next question as an attack. But I've been asked this question more than once, and I've had my own answer. I'd like to hear your answer. Oh, boy. What makes you think you can help those who have been there when you've never been there? Those who have been through addiction, battled addiction, the overcoming it, the the real nitty-gritty of it all, what makes you think that that you you can make a difference for them?
1: Sure. Um, well there's two things. One is I can be a person in their life that is not going to judge them And whether I can relate on a personal level of battling addiction, what I can do is give them a space to be able to you know talk about anything and everything without, that judgment that is very normal um, in in our communities and in our within our families and friend groups when someone is struggling with it. So that's one thing I can do. And the second thing I can do is I can advocate for them amongst their family and friends, amongst their support group, and I can also connect them to the proper resources.
0: You can relate to those family members and friends after having some of your own go through it, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about your own experiences of dealing with friends and family members, their struggles, what you've seen, what you've witnessed, how you dealt with that, what it did to you and what it did for you.
1: Sure. You know, it is a journey, to, to say the least, over the last 20 years. It all started kind of in 20, in 2003. I was very good friends with I had a very good friend who lost her parents to accidental drug overdoses and they were pain management patients so they were they were prescribed the drugs um, the opioids that they inevitably died from um, and I was a sophomore in high school when that happened and it just I remember getting the phone call when she called me and telling me what had happened and I, I just couldn't believe it and for years neither of us really could wrap our head around like what exactly it was we just i don't know maybe we were just naive at the time and young and didn't really understand everything that had gone on behind the scenes that maybe we didn't see at the time because we were so young but that was kind of the beginning of it and they were like second parents to me i mean i spent every weekend at their house and so you know, that kind of rocked my world a little bit.
0: Somebody very close to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then a couple years later, I lost a, a good friend in a, in a drunk driving accident. And he was... I was with him the night that he got in his accident. And I gave him my... My boyfriend and I at the time gave him a ride home, and he ended up going back out.
0: And so, after you were with him and yes. dropped him off at his home, then he went back out. Is yes. that close. Yes. Okay.
1: And that one, that changed my entire, honestly, like the next five years of my life. And it it hit me. I was a senior in high school. I had just turned eighteen. Um, he was in a coma for about a week before he died. And I just remember experiencing all of that. Like, it was, I'm I'm so grateful that the last moment I spent with him was giving him a hug, goodbye. He was supposed to go out back to school. Um, He was a year older than me, so he was supposed to go back to college the next day. And I, I don't know, I blamed I I didn't blame myself necessarily, but I definitely struggled with it because I just kept thinking, like, I don't understand why he went back out. Like, there was no reason for it, and I'll never know the answer. And that is something that just haunted me for years because I was one of the last people to see him. And, you know, it just put me into this, like, downward spiral of depression I had so many questions. I had a lot of grief. What what I now know what I know now is that I was grieving. And all of the things I was feeling was real and it was very normal for me to feel those Absolutely. things and to have those questions, but I didn't have at the time I didn't have the support that I probably should have had. And it's not that anyone in my life did anything wrong. It's just that what we know now is very different as far as what someone might need when they go through something like that. We've
0: come a long ways with mental health issues. Absolutely as well. understanding grief, accepting grief. Sure. Allowing
1: sure. Uh, so grief. So what that did was that that event is such a pivotal part of my entire adult life. And what that really did was it, it sent me into this spiral of just depression and anxiety. And I just became a workaholic and went to school and worked and went to school and worked. And I—I I, in the relationship I was in, I became very codependent on that person because... Out of
0: fear of loss? Oh, absolutely. And- I was
1: terrified to lose him it's uh, yes. terrified because the the last thing I wanted was to feel what I had felt you again
0: understand
1: and, and then every decision I made for probably the next 10 years just was I feel like now that I'm able to look back and reflect and in my my late 20s and early 30s I, I was in therapy for about five years and so I've been able to work through all this now so I can talk about it um what I what I know that I did at the time was I just made decisions to keep the peace and to make everyone happy, and um, I was just in survival mode. That's all I was doing was surviving all the time, and sometimes I made decisions, like staying in relationships longer than I should have. Um, You know, simply because the thought of losing someone, it's like I would relive it. Sure. Every time. Sure. And, it, you know, whether you lose someone because your relationship ends or you lose someone because they die, there, there's a grief that goes with Absolutely. that.
0: Absolutely,
1: And that is something that, you know, just really impacts your decision making. And so while all of that was going on in my personal life, all those years, I was also, I also had a sibling who... Was dealing with his own addiction.
0: Older or younger?
1: Younger. He's two years younger than me. Okay. And... Um,
0: Are you a middle child?
1: No, I'm the oldest. Okay. It's just the two of us. Just
0: the two. Okay. Yeah. Well, just some of your descriptions there led me to that middle child syndrome. Uh-oh. But regardless, nothing <laughs> wrong there. Go ahead, please.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, I was dealing with all of that in my personal life. And then I was also, you know, watching my brother just downward spiral in addiction, and it was bad. Um, he, he's been in and out of treatment multiple times, and he had also been in and out of jail multiple times. And um, when you're when you're the sibling of someone dealing with that kind of addiction, where it literally runs their life, Um, it is extremely challenging to not want to save them
0: (laughs) for certain,
1: you know, that's, that's what you do. You just want to help them. Like you just want them to get better. Like you just, you don't understand why they can't just figure it out.
0: You'd already mentioned the codependent issues, yes. the fears of loss, everything mm-hmm. that was going with your grief as you look back now and label it, mm-hmm. and here you are dealing with someone that close to you that you were probably thinking you could lose it any minute.
1: Yeah, I mean, every time the phone rang, every time the phone rang, um, and it was one of my parents, I was always, like, on the other side going, like, is is this it? Is this the time that they're going to tell me he's gone? Um, you know, there were, there were years where I just remember just be every, I was so terrified all the time. Every time I'd get a phone call, the anxiety and the the stress that was associated with that
0: skyrocket.
1: Yeah. I mean, and so I was constantly in fight or flight mode. Um, you know, my heart would race. I would just, I would be so anxious all the time. And in my head, it was like, I was just getting to a point to where I was, like, accepting the fact that that might be the phone call one day. And, um, you know, on top of that, the the family dynamic changes as well. Sure. When you have someone who's really struggling like that, um, you know— there's going to be people in their life that are enabling them. There's going to be people in their life that are not. And that creates a lot of tension.
0: And you deal with both sides (laughs) as big sis.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it really, it really changed the dynamic of my family for a long time. And it created a lot of, I just remember there was a lot of fighting. um, A lot of, uh, a lot of us not being on the same page, not seeing eye to eye on how to handle this and what to do. And this whole time, I was in my 20s just trying to grow up and become an adult and
0: figure out my
1: life and figure out my my professional career, and I did the best I could, but it was a struggle. And not only was that happening, but it seemed as though a lot of people that we went to high school with um, were passing away from drug overdoses. So every single time another classmate or acquaintance that I – I knew I may not have been close to them anymore, but I knew them. Um, If the next time, you know, I found out that someone else died from an overdose, it was like, I would just, it was as if I would put my brother in that position, in that place in my mind. And I would, and it would hit me a lot harder than maybe if I hadn't had a sibling that I thought could end up in the same place. Yes. So I lived it, it. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And, you know, I feel like that's the best way I can describe it is I really hope that like I would love to hear that somebody has never felt like that before because it really impacted my mental health a lot. And I'm somebody who's extremely resilient and can get through a lot of things. But I was suffering greatly on the inside.
0: Pushed to the limit,
1: mm-hmm. it sounds.
0: And that's 24-7. There was no sleeping that away because as soon as you woke up, you're back at it again.
1: Yeah, yes. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the the biggest thing now is here we are in 2023 and my brother is thriving and he's doing really well. And he's, right. he's in recovery and um, I'm super proud of him.
0: Where does that put your mind? Do you have much of a fear of him relapsing back into the behaviors and activities?
1: In the early stages of recovery, I was still nervous, of
0: course. You just couldn't trust yet or right. believe him,
1: right? Right. Okay. And um, I was very worried because I, I had seen him, you know, be sober for long extended periods of time over all those years. But he would go back right, to the old habits. So it was it was definitely one of those fears of like, okay, is this, is this going to be the time? And, um, we're, he's, it's been over four years now. Um, and my stress levels and my anxiety over it are like basically next to none, but you know, the difference in, in our relationships, my relationships with my brother and my family are like healed.
0: So you're back together as a healthier family by Mm -hmm. far.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All of you, all the relationships. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. You had to wonder if that would ever happen.
1: You know, I did. I, I didn't think it would.
0: And had you lost him where... You know, what would that have meant? You don't just right. get over it tomorrow and everybody's good. You get into the blame game, or you can. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say your family would have, but many do. And we blame ourselves so often, so hooray. That's yeah. a good place for you to be.
1: You know, you bring up a good point. Um, I would say part of what has made what I would consider our family successful in being on one of those positive sides of recovery is forgiveness. Um, Forgiveness is huge. You know, we all blamed ourselves at different points during this journey. And so first and foremost, you must forgive yourself. You also have to forgive the person that created some of the pain that you went through. And you still don't do that for them. You do it for you because if you go to bed every night having just hatred and resentment towards somebody, the main person that's hurting the most is uh-huh. yourself.
0: Absolutely. You know, you've heard it said, too, I'm sure. I know I have. It's like drinking poison, hoping the other person's going to feel the effects mm-hmm. of it. And you're the one it destroys more than the one you're aiming it at. Yep. Scriptures tell us that lifetime is that. There is nothing positive that comes from unforgiveness. And it just builds your anxieties and everything else that goes with that. So obviously, you guys have played it right. What do you attribute that to, Ashley?
1: You know, I think something that's been huge for us is the willingness for all of us to sit down and have conversations and be honest.
0: So you've been open as a family about the battles, about the problems, and Mm -hmm. you've worked it out together. You went through it together and you've worked it out together.
1: Yeah. You know, there's really not been a bunch of hiding behind a mask.
0: It was obvious enough that you've, there was no way to hide from it. It's like seeing a picture in the mirror, and uh, you can't hide from that picture. Yeah. You can deny, which obviously is part of the the battle. Mm-hmm. But uh, we usually know when we're in denial even. We're just not ready to admit that.
1: Right, exactly. And, you know, when you're, when you're trying to work through that and move forward when someone's in recovery— Like, making them feel more guilty about it is not going to do anybody any good. They already have enough shame and guilt as it is. And the last thing that they need is people in their life who they love Just continuing to just dig the daggers in and remind them of all the mistakes that they've made.
0: Hile stuff on them. Yeah, I mean... just starting to see some light, hopefully.
1: Exactly, and we're all human. All of us make mistakes. We all do things that we are not proud of.
0: We've all created more junk on people and thrown trash on them by our own lifestyles than we ever would want to admit.
1: Absolutely, and, you know, yeah, some of those things are a little bit more severe than others Sure. as far as what could happen by, by those actions. But, you know, we're not here to pass that judgment and to make those decisions.
0: It's not our job. Nope. So what's the best advice you could give to a family right now who has a son or a daughter that's battling addiction? What would you want to tell them?
1: I would tell them to stop hiding. Stop hiding behind the walls of their houses and that they need their own support system. You know, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, anyone involved, they need to have their own support system. And they need to really just be honest with each other. And be, I mean, it's going to, it hurts. Trust me. It hurts. to to hear when you're maybe not being the best support system to the person that needs it the most. Um, So you also have to be willing to change as well. You have to change with them because you more than likely have habits or certain things that you're doing that are actually contributing to the problem. And that is a hard pill to swallow When you know you're not the one doing the drugs. Yes, yes. That's a hard pill to swallow because all you want to do is point the finger. Sure. But you need to look in the mirror and you need to really step back and evaluate what you are doing that might be enabling them.
0: I was going to ask you, where do we cross that line between support and help versus enabling?
1: It's really hard. It's why you... It's why you need outside help. It's why you need an outside perspective, because when you love your, your child, you're going to go above and beyond to try to help them. And sometimes it's it's more enabling than you realize. And that's why when we keep these things a secret and we keep them bottled up and we don't talk to people about it and we don't reach out for that help, you're missing an opportunity to have someone come in and really, truly help your family.
0: So we need that outside-in look instead of inside-dealing-with-inside kind of thing. Yep. Somebody to point out to us, you better check yourself on that move you're making.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The book hadn't been written to tell us because every situation's so different, but there are still ways to identify and recognize.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. Every every single situation is different and individual. and everyone's recovery story is different. You know, what works for one person is not going to work for the next person. Every individual has a different background and maybe reason why they started using to begin with. And so those all need to be taken into consideration when someone is trying to get help and get clean and sober and move forward with their life. Um,
0: I like the visual of a maze where it's got a path to get out of this box with all these broken lines and blocked lines. But with recovery, I believe there's more than one way out of that maze Mm -hmm. and we've got to help them find what will work for them.
1: Sure. Absolutely. And I actually really like that analogy and that, that visual because part of recovery is, and some people might not like this, but part of recovery is also relapse. Like, it is not, um, you don't typically go to a 28-day rehab and then all of a sudden everything's better.
0: Don't we wish.
1: You know, that, that, is, not, that um, is not realistic. No. And it's...
0: Multiple times to that rehab, perhaps.
1: Sometimes. Or uh, continuing other out, outpatient services yes. afterwards and going back to the right support system. And there's just so many avenues to take that what works for one is not going to work for the next. Well, if
0: we had the answer, we wouldn't be here today talking about this, would we? If you'd have come in here with the answer, I'd have listened, I'd have written a damn wrote the book, but uh, we're trying to give you answers that have worked. So folks, we recognize and realize there's not one set, there's not one standard, there's not one path, but. Different paths work for different people. We're all created in a different way. We're all going to walk in a different way and find our way out of that darkness. You made a comment here in the bio you gave us. Addiction is a brain disease, and it's also a family disease. You've alluded to that here, but clarify that for folks. I like that.
1: Sure. Um, So the brain disease part you know, we have receptors in our brain. And every time we put a substance into our body, a medication, those receptors in our brain is actually what takes that medication in and changes however it needs to to, to get the effect that you're, that you're looking for. So when you're talking about opioids and pain relievers, painkillers, those, those are going to change your brain chemistry. Over time, every time you continue to use them over and over, I mean, same thing with other drugs, stimulants, um, anything that you put in your body, whether it's a prescribed drug or not, can potentially impact that brain chemistry. So, you know, what happens over time is people become physically dependent because the minute that they don't have that drug anymore, they don't feel the same. And then sometimes they have withdrawals, which is actually extremely common. Um, and when you start having withdrawal symptoms, you feel like—I I don't know. My—I've I've never experienced it myself personally, right. but what I know know to be true from people that have dealt with it is you feel like you're going to die because it's like the flu times a thousand.
0: I've heard that. Very same analogy over and over. The flu times a bunch.
1: Sure. So it's a brain disease because it literally changes the brain chemistry. And it takes about a year of sobriety for those receptors to rewire and go back to quote quote unquote normal.
0: And that's to start going back. It doesn't mean at the end of three hundred sixty-five right. days you're suddenly back to a normal place, right. uh, mentally speaking. Right. So th- within the brain.
1: Yeah. So that's like when you when you go to a, when you go through a detox, a seven-day detox. Yes, you may have gotten the, the drug out of your system, but you have just begun the phases of your brain rewiring itself
0: i've always said there's a difference in being clean and being clear in seven days you can be clean sure of a lot of uh you know drugs opioids etc it takes a lot longer to get clear mm-hmm. it's like seeing out a cloudy glass and yet when you get the cloud off you see much better so it takes that time
1: yeah absolutely and you know the the other thing, the the event that I was referring to earlier, the first event that I spoke at in twenty sixteen, there was a doctor there that had done a lot of research on the brain, and so he showed us a bunch of scans of a brain um, that was, you know, a brain that had not been using drugs, a brain that was uh, that was addicted in full blown addiction, and then a brain that was in the process of Sobriety and and he showed us the scans over a year's time and it took an entire year For that brain to look like the one where the person was not using drugs And on on top of that what i've also learned over over the years is that So our brains are not developed until we are at least 25 a lot of research now also shows 28 so, your frontal lobe, which is your decision making lobe in your in your brain, is the last lobe to completely form as an adult we Our brains are not completely formed at eighteen years old, and so We don't always make the best decisions until we're older. That makes a lot of sense, right?
0: It certainly does, and I get that. I'm aware of it. For anybody who's not understand what you say, you're just not acting like an adult. There's a reason. There's a reason. They are not yet
1: right, and so when someone starts using drugs, and when they're teenagers, that development of their brain slows down, yes, even more so. So essentially, like, for example, say someone's 17 and they've been using for two years and they don't stop using until they're 22. When they're 22 and they finally stop, their maturity level is likely back around that 16, 17-year-old person.
0: That starting time yeah. kind of thing.
1: Because the right. drug use has impacted their their development, their brain development. And by all means, I am not the most scientific medical expert on we this. I'm not a doctor. You're
0: sharing your knowledge.
1: Sure. But it is incredible when you start thinking about it like that. And and it all starts to make sense. Like that's why when someone's in recovery, they can't just snap their fingers and all of a sudden all their decisions are better and everything in their life is glory. Don't we wish. And they're and you know, they're they're going to their job and they're they're doing all the things that they're that they're supposed to do. It is it takes so much time from the time that someone decides that they want to recover until they're really in a place of my life has completely changed for the good and I'm never looking back. It is not going to happen in a month. It's not going to happen in 3 months, 6 months. I would say at least 1 year, but one one to one to 5 years.
0: That would have been my guess, just my own personal experience with mm-hmm. experiences with those I've dealt with that one to five year kind of thing. We've got to remain patient just because they've stopped. Doesn't mean they're clearly thinking and all that goes with making the best and the right choices.
1: Right. And I mean, they're starting, they have to start from square one again. So, and not to mention any legal ramifications they may have gone through and all of that. So, You know, it just it takes a lot, like you said, a lot of patience, especially with the people around them, because you see all the potential and you see what what their life could be. And you want that for them so badly. But it's not it's not our job to do it for them. They have to do it on their own. We
0: can't do it for them. And it's I've always said it's like breaking breaking that egg for the chick to get out you've damaged the chick for life. They may not even survive. Or that little bird that you thought, oh, that's so cute. But uh, (laughs) they've got to fight through that shell. And that's the way our our friends in addiction have to do and have to be. They've got to fight through it. And... uh, I am just happy and thankful for the amount of recovery we're seeing anymore, to hear your brother's story and to know that he's he's on top of that at this time. And I'm sure you could say to hear it wouldn't be appropriate with your position but get name after name of those who have. But sad parts, every time we lose one, it's painful. However, I've come to accept that loss I did a funeral last weekend for someone who had died of overdose. But I've come to recognize and realize that only builds my resolve to fight against it. It doesn't break my spirit from fighting for, you know, being clean, sober, whatever the case. But it has increased my resolve to help folks get where they can Trying to stop from enabling, and I know there have been moments, and it's always a tough call, but we do what we can. Yes.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I've uh, I've been to many funerals, and you know I've experienced that, and I also have gotten to a point where I've been able to accept it much more. Yes. Than I did in the in the beginning. Um, it was really hard for me in the beginning it would just like break me all over again temporarily for a little bit, but it just really.
0: absolutely Well, with your initial experiences there, uh, you had a lot to overcome yourself, but you said you went through like five years of therapy. I did. Yeah. I did. So that helped you get to where you are today. Yep. Actually, is there anything you'd like to close this myth? Uh, Uh, I'll challenge you with this question. The title of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What do those four words mean to you? Faith in your recovery.
1: Faith in your recovery. I would say that those, those four words mean to me that you have to always continue to believe that there is light in your future and that no matter what comes in your path, that if you continue to look forward... And to have faith in yourself and those around you that are your support system and love you that recovery is possible and there is an amazing life out there for you.
0: We want you to know that, folks, that uh, you haven't come this far to only come this far. We believe that you can take that next step. We believe that your recovery can lie just around the corner, maybe in our next episode or maybe Maybe you're going to find it through the story that Ashley shared with us. Anything else, Ashley?
1: You know, I think I think you I think you got it all. I'm just happy to be here, and I appreciate you having me on.
0: Well, we welcome the time you've given us. We'll give you thanks for it and uh, for sharing and for caring and being there for others. Uh, continue the battle, folks. We'll be there with you to the best of our abilities. We're certainly there for you. God bless. Take care. Amen.